But you know, I was thinking this week if I go back and read sermons that I delivered, even, even ones late last year, or if you take a chance to go back and listen to them, you know, I think at that point, I really thought, and maybe you did too, that the world was just about as crazy and messed up as it could possibly get. And now suddenly, and I was saying this to somebody the other day, 2019 seems like the good old days of another lifetime ago. So, you know, I think because of that, now more than ever, you and I need to be really grounded in the essential truths and the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith that we proclaim for a whole lot of reasons. One is so that we can be a witness to this fallen world. So that we can give a good answer to any who may ask us about our faith. So we can fulfill the Great Commission. But, you know, I think sometimes right now, if we can be totally honest with each other, sometimes it's good to do that just so you and I can sleep at night. Knowing that we can trust in the timeless truths of our triune God that we proclaim. Uh, and so that we would really come to know and to understand the love of the living God in the face of Jesus by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to show you is today that all kind of pulls together in our celebration of Trinity Sunday. That's, that's what today is in the liturgical calendar. Today's Trinity Sunday, and it's a day to focus uh, on a doctrine that's central to our Reformed Christian belief and one of the most overwhelming mysteries of our faith. And we're, we're going to do that uh, we're going to be doing that alongside our text of the, the next psalm in our series, and that's Psalm 97. So if you're following along in your Bibles, which I encourage you to do, it, it's great that it's on the screen, and it's awesome that it's in mine here, but it's even more important that you see it in your own. Uh, and so Psalm 97 is our text for today. And the psalmist writes, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world and the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Father God, I ask you to create in me a clean heart. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to this assembled people. And Holy Spirit, move with power in this moment to sanctify this message that may accomplish all that you purpose and intend. And we wait for you now, Father, to do that and to speak to your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, if you guys remember, I, I told you before that we were going to be looking at Psalms 95 through 100, and not, and not just as a part of our whole expositional series that we've been in for like, what, two, two plus years, um, but as its own little cluster that, although it was written separately, were intentionally knitted together by the worship leaders in the temple 
to give expression to the exalted and transcendent reign of God over the universe. Uh, and to the, to the intimate, joyful relationship that he desires to have with the people that he's made. And you know, at first glance, it, it really seems kind of easy enough for us to, to look around the room or look around at each other and say with Psalm 97 very confidently, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Right? We, can, we can read that together at church and we can all nod our heads and, and move on to something else without too much thought, right? But, but what about when you're at home this week? What about when you turn on the news? What about if you're someone whose grandson is a police officer in New York City right now? What about if your sister is a nurse in Minnesota? How about if your neighbor just lost someone to COVID-19? Well, then you have to ask yourself all kinds of questions like, does, does God really reign over this world? Does he reign over the anarchy that we see in our streets? Does he reign over our racial unrest? Does he reign over natural disasters that claim lives and destroy property? Does the Lord reign over diseases and, and job loss or the untimely loss of one of our loved ones? And yeah, I, I really am sure that at least one of those things, if not more, uh, probably hits really close to home right now for some of us. But, but here's the mind-bending twist that today's psalm gives us in the midst of our chaos because the psalmist doesn't say the Lord reigns so grit your teeth and grab your bootstraps. Uh, he, he doesn't say the Lord reigns so you might as well get resigned to it. He doesn't say the Lord reigns so keep your head down and, and hope he doesn't notice. You know, he clearly says to us today, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. And what I want to show you is that only happens in our recognition of the Lord's ultimate sovereignty that he lovingly reveals to us in the relationship of the Trinity. Okay, and, and, and you may ask, well, you know, Pastor, what, what does that really matter for? What, what difference does it make to me that God is one being in three persons? What, what possible difference could that make to my daily life and, and my Christian walk in this crazy world? And you know, that really is a common question because far too many believers, sincere believers think the Trinity is some kind of out-of-reach doctrine with very little practical importance. And so, honestly, most folks really choose to just ignore it. But I want to give you three panels of a response to that kind of thinking today to get these concepts of the Trinity a little more out of the realm of, of just perfunctory acceptance and, and head knowledge and really into our hearts. And the first one of these, and, and, and we'll call this, this panel... The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice in his sovereign regulation. And I really want to kind of underscore this important lesson from the text that the psalm gives us today in really such graphic and visual language about the Godhead being surrounded by, by clouds and by thick darkness and ha having this fire that, that goes out before him to burn up his enemies and uh, talking about the fact that the mountains melt if God even moves in their direction because, church, this is the perfect picture of God's absolute triune sovereignty and power over everything. Over everything. Whether, whether it's in heaven above, whether it's in the hearts of men, whether it's in those purple mountain majesties we sing about that look too impossible to move. And, brothers and sisters, that should be a profound source of joy and a reason not to worry right now. 
because God has all of the whole universe, despite any appearance to the contrary, despite our own personal opinions about how we think life and things are going, he's got all of it right in the palm of his hand. And the only way you're going to rejoice in the truth of God's sovereignty is not when you can finally logically understand it, but when you can lovingly submit to God the Father as the, the one who can do as he pleases with the creation that he's made. The, the one who, who could have chucked the whole thing when we human beings messed it up, but who instead sent God the Son who willingly died to rescue it from our own open rebellion. And who together, Father and Son together, sends God the Holy Spirit who actualizes the Father's redemptive love along with the Son's righteous sacrifice. And then He fills our hearts and He fills our minds with the reality of that holy truth. And He seals it with the absolute guarantee of our sin debt's cancellation. Amen. The second little panel I want to give you today that I want us to touch on is, uh, is the Lord reigns so we reject false ideas about God. The Lord reigns so we reject false ideas about God. Remember, we, we just read the heavens proclaim His righteousness uh, and, and who sees His glory? All, of, all the people, right? And then He follows that right up with all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Or maybe we could say who make their boast in fake religions. Because, you know, and I know you've heard this, the world tells us that all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different, right? I know you guys have heard that. But, you know, nothing could be further from the truth because the truth is all the religions of the world are profoundly different and at best, at best, share a few common facets. And the doctrine of the Trinity is one of those things that really puts those differences in a stark contrast Because Christianity alone teaches that our God is a being in community. That God is relational by nature, and no no other religion claims that. And I'll give you just one easy example. When you uh, hear people ask, do do Christians and Muslims worship the same God? Well, from a theological perspective, the answer to that is categorically no, because Islam denies the Trinity, Christianity affirms it. So just on that issue alone, our two belief systems are completely incompatible and irreconcilable. And that makes the teachings of the Koran a blasphemous heresy. And, and just, just in, in case you think that might be too extreme a statement on my part, I want you to just think a minute about what the ramifications would be if God were not a trinity. So you're going to have to kind of use your sacred imagination here. What, what would it be like if God were just a single being before he willed to create the universe and fill it with <clears throat> heavenly beings and living creatures here on earth. Can, can you imagine that for just a second? Because that's, that's what Islam teaches. They teach that their pagan, pagan Muslim deity is exclusively one person. He's got no son, <clears throat> excuse me, no spirit. So that means that before creation, Allah would have been completely alone in a vast, empty void, kind of a sort of a, a cosmic hermit out there. Uh, he'd have nobody to, to share his supposed divine nature with and his attributes. He would always just have been a, a solitary being in eternity past. And so what that means is in order to fulfill his own needs and his own selfish ego, 
he would have to create a world just so he could have something over which to rule and subjects to worship his greatness. That doesn't sound like such a great system, does it? But you see, in contrast, our God, the God of the Bible, the real, true, living God, the Bible tells us, has always existed even before creation as Father, Son, and Spirit in a perfect relationship of love. In fact, First uh, John 4, 8, I bet Ray can even quote this, tells us He is love. God is love. You know, one of, in one of his, uh, his books about the nature of God, the late Dr. Ravi Zacharias says, in the very nature of God, there is an I-you relationship within the Godhead. And he says, think about this. If God says he is love, who was he loving before the creation? He says, if God ever says he speaks, who was he speaking for before the creation? And he is, Zacharias writes, referring to the fact that he is, as we said, a being in community and that communication and affection and love are contained in the Godhead right from the beginning. And, and since we're still kind of using our sacred imagination, think about it like this. Let me ask you, have you ever, maybe even as a child, wondered what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were doing in all of eternity past? Did you ever wonder what they, what they got up to? Now, John, John Calvin actually wrote about that. He said jokingly that God was, was using the time to create a hell for people that ask questions like that. But, but, but seriously, if you think about it for a minute, if there... If there was a non-Trinity God, just a single entity like the Muslims put forth, a, a being like that would need to create in order to experience a relationship and not be lonely. But brothers and sisters, if a God ever needed anything from someone else, they wouldn't be a God, would they? But because our God is Father, Son, and Spirit, He wasn't ever lonely. He, he never needed to create other beings to be content, but He chose to. He chose to do it because of an overflow of His love that already existed within himself. And if right now you're still saying to yourself, Pastor, why are you beating this drum so hard today? And you're, you're maybe thinking, I, I still don't get why this matters. Please, please hear me on this if you don't hear anything else that I say today. Brothers and sisters, I want you to get the idea that we are not needed, but you were chosen. Amen. Right? We, we were not needed. That, that's the heresy of the 21st century American church. We are not needed, but you are chosen. And that means even though there was already perfect fellowship and satisfying relationship for God from eternity past, He still chose to make you and me. And brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but that's a huge comfort to me. That's a huge comfort to me because even though the members of the Trinity have always had each other to love and to fellowship with, the God of heaven and earth willingly comes to live inside me and inside you if you're in Christ. To reproduce that same loving, caring, joyful relationship right inside my heart. And to draw me into unity with them in a way that I could never experience on my own. And neither could you. Because the truth is the Bible says we're all born dead in sin. It says we have to be made alive in order to respond to the promise of redemption that reconciles us to Him. We have to be regenerated and reborn to hear the Father's call to repentance through the work of the Son on the cross by the witness of the Holy Spirit and all of that because of how much He loves us. Not because He was incomplete without us, but because of an overflow of love already embodied in who God is. And when you begin to understand Him more 
in the relationship of the Trinity, you won't view God any longer as some kind of faraway disciplinarian who just wants your unquestioned obedience. You'll see he's not just a, a cosmic dictator compelling our worship, and, and that his will for our lives isn't a, a private, narcissistic, unknowable mystery, but rather we'll begin to see God in the way that he really is. And, and we'll experience the, the loving and intimate reality of his triune nature differently, and we'll begin to live differently knowing that we can submit all of our lives to God because you are his hand-picked gift of the Father, wrapped in the Holy Spirit and redeemed by the blood of the Son. See, it's a whole different mindset, realizing that God made me to know him by his Spirit, to love him through his Son, to serve him uh, as my Father in this world, and to be happy within that very relatable relationship forever in the world to come. And when we begin to grasp that just a little bit, even just a little bit, his words to us become not a bunch of laws and regulations from on high. Uh, they're not the edicts of, uh, of some holy hermit locked away in the seclusion of heaven, but they're a whole new lifestyle with a God who comes so intimately close to you and me. And that takes me to my final point in the third panel of our, our look at the sovereignty of God in the, the Trinity in Psalm 97, and that is the Lord reigns so we learn to refuse evil. The Lord reigns so we learn to refuse it because it puts a rift in that loving relationship we have with God. In fact, the psalmist today says that right out. We just, just read in Psalm 97, 10. Oh, you who love the Lord, do what? Hate evil. Right? You who love the Lord, hate evil. And the apostle John expands on that in his first epistle. He tells us in beginning in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, so now we can tell who are the children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. And brothers and sisters, because of that, because of that fact the triune Godhead can love us perfectly because unlike the human relationships that we so often pursue God's relationship for loving us is completely selfless on his part he gains absolutely nothing by it and he loses absolutely nothing without it right? God gain, he gains nothing by my relationship with him he would lose nothing without it and we've talked about this before but just you know, as an example, if someone that I love was to totally reject me, I would cry because I lost something. Remember, I, I told you guys before, if Vicki ever finally leaves me for Harrison Ford, she may be happy, but, but I, I would be devastated, right? That's, that's why I told her the day that we got married, if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. But, 
But, but when a, a, a person rejects and leaves God, God cries because that person leaving lost something. Not God. You know, when a person or a nation abandons God, he's not diminished. The one leaving is. And, and yet, he lovingly pursues us anyway, and thank God he does in his pure, unmerited grace that arises out of the perfect, pre-existent unity of the Trinity that's made available to us because the Father loved us enough that He sent His only Son to save us through the sanctifying work of the Spirit even while we were still sinning against Him. And brothers and sisters, that's love. And so in closing, I, I want to ask you, do you know that kind of love? Have you experienced it yet? Are you in a relationship with the author of relationships? And I, I hope you are. But if you aren't, today is the day to do something about it. Today is the day to receive the love of the Father and to experience that holy connection by accepting Christ's offer of salvation. And today is the day to be sealed with the deposit of the Holy Spirit and begin to experience the love of God as you get to know Him more and understand Him as the unity of the Trinity perfectly displayed in the diversity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you can do that at this table together with them that they've laid before us today. Will you join me there? Let's pray. Father God, it is truly right in our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, especially, Lord, in this Holy Supper, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus and asking you by the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again that you unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. So come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this place, in this time, that eyes may be open, souls may be convicted, hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.